Greetings and salutations, everyone. We are in it again this week, having technical difficulties as usual, and this does not look good as the IT guy, so I'm going to own that today. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, I am your co-host, Deontay. And I'm Shakima. And we are the Dunlaps. We're the Dunlaps. All right, y'all. Forgive my... I'm everywhere today. But nonetheless, enough about me, but we want to talk about today in history. And uh, baby, what, what happened this day in the past? Talk to us. Okay, so uh, this is one that I remember. I was about 10 when it happened. Um, and I just, you know, just being a kid. And now I guess now that I know so much about the media and how they spin things, I just wasn't aware um, of just how prescient it was. And so today in history, on December 20th, 1986, a white mob chases and kills a young black man in Howard Beach, New York. Do y'all remember that? Like, yeah. I remember hearing about like it, yesterday. but I, yeah, I didn't really know. So, like, um, on December 20th, 18, 1986, 23-year-old Michael Griffith and his friends Cedric Sandiford and Timothy Grimes were traveling from Brooklyn to Queens in New York. When their car broke down in Howard Beach, a predominantly white middle-class Queens neighborhood, the three young Black men walked to a local restaurant and asked to use the phone. When they were refused, the young men sat down at a table where they were soon confronted by a group of white teenagers. After a brief verbal altercation, the white teens left to attend a party where one announced, there's some inners in the pizza parlor. Let's go kill them. When Mr. Griffith, Mr. Sandiford, and Mr. Grimes exited the restaurant soon after, the white teens had returned with baseball bats and, and tree limbs. Mr. Grimes ran fast enough to escape the attack where Mr. Griffith and Mr. Sandiford were brutal, brutally beaten. Fleeing the blows, Mr. Griffith ran into traffic on the busy Belt Parkway and was struck and killed by a car. The attack killed the attack against Mr. Sandiford continued even as Mr. Griffith lay dying. News of the attack spread quickly, sparking outrage and protests from the Black community and inspiring an anti-racism march through Howard Beach that crowds of white residents gathered to harass. In the press, many reports of the attack used dehumanizing language to describe Michael Griffith only by his race. While some cases describing the young men accused him of killing, of, accused of killing him as teenagers and baby-faced. When Queens District Attorney John Santucci charged Scott Kern, Jason Ladone, and John Lester with reckless endangerment for their suspected roles in Mr. Griffith's death, Santucci was accused of being inappropriately lenient and removed from the case, replaced by Special Prosecutor Charles Haynes. After the three defendants were prosecuted and convicted for Michael Griffith's murder, Judge Thomas DeMacos sentenced Kern to six to 18 years imprisonment, Jason Ladone to five to 15 years, and John Lester, the accused ad instigator, to 10 to 30 years. While passing down his rulings, Judge DeMacos asked, what kind of individual do I have before me who, after witnessing a young Black man getting crushed by a car, continues his reckless conduct by savagely beating another Black male with a bat? And that was today in history, December 20th, 1986. I, there's so much to say about that. Um, just the levels of brutality and cruelty and just inhumane behavior is just, uh, it's just never, um, yeah, it's just never a good thing to, it's just never a good thing at all. <laughs> I mean, what do you say? I mean, that's, that's a horrific thing um, to even, I think I was, yeah, I was a 
small kid where that happened. So uh, I don't even remember that, but you know, um, wow, that's a jarring um, reminder. Um, but if you don't know your history, you're doing the repeater, right? Correct. So, you know, we need to be aware of these things um, because it's, all it takes is a little bit of push for us to slide down in the same same direction. So I, mean, um, I feel like we're still there. Yeah, I feel like we're still there. I feel like they play in our faces every day, all day. I feel like we're still there. And, um, you know, like the idea of the language right the, the manipulation of language to call this young black these these black teenagers you know brutes and you know it's almost fan. like to like yeah like y'all did us a favor by reading society of them right but then the persecutors clearly that was some savagery going on right and but they're right. teenagers and they're baby face and so um i think wasn't this like during the same era when when your boy trump was like in new york running running some things and taking out ads for the exonerated central park five and calling them a wolf pack and all kinds of stuff like that so yeah yeah all right uh dunlap lighten it up a little bit what happened today all right uh technology yeah let's take it let's 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 uh switch gears a little bit um here's something that i think all of us can relate to so Actually, exactly 10 years from the the, the, the um, history uh, blurb you gave, December 20th, 1996, Apple announces the purchase of Next. Um, in a surprise move at the time, Apple Computer Inc. announces their intention to, to purchase Steve Jobs' company, Next, and bring Steve Jobs on board as an advisor to then-CEO Gil Emilio. The purchase was completed on February 4th of the next year and brought with it the core technology that formed the basis of the future Mac OS X operating system, which itself is the foundation of the iOS operating system that runs the iPhone, iPad, and iPad, iPod Touch. Along with the leadership of future CEO Steve Jobs, the, res the resurgence of Apple in the 2000s and the emergence of the new world of technology can be traced back to this major event in technology history. Now, we all know that if Apple didn't make that move, phones as we know today would not be. The touch phones, the, the touch panel, he had a vision to simplify the use of phones and make them accessible to everybody. How do you make your phone that one-stop thing? And, um, and, to, and to this day, they set the precedent for the touch interface phone. So this is a major move in history um, in, in, in the world of technology as we know it today. Um, because all of us have interacted with some type of technology where we are able to interface with the actual screen as opposed to a keyboard. So um, so that this comes directly from this day in history dot com. I was really I was actually pretty excited to announce this one because, again, um, this is this changed the face of phones. This changed the way we see we saw in the use and the viability of a phone. And now we carry these things around in our pocket literally every day, all day. Most of us can't live without them. So this is a major turning point in not just technology, but in human history, because this is how we, you know, this is how we pay our bills. This is how we, you know, stay up to date with family, social media, um, you know, banking, finance, you name it, you know, it's all right now, we all have it in the palm of our hands. And Every other every other company after Apple, you know, kind of took that took that design and replicated it in their own way. You know, 
Um, I have both iPhone and Samsung and both the touch touch interface phones and it all stemmed from that iPhone. So um, really, really interesting uh, tidbit in history. So I'm glad to be able to present that. Um, but aside from that, we are here to talk about what's going on today. Um, so my love, do you want to give an introduction to our guest panel this week? Yes. We're talking to educators. Um, some of them who was like, get your own doggone kids. Get somebody else to do it. Uh-uh. Get somebody else to do it. Right? And then some who were like, mm, uh, God, when you going to set this thing off so I can get up out of here? So that's what today is about. And I think I'm probably like in that second. <laughs> I, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up right I'm still trying to process it like teaching is my second career so I'm like mm, what you gonna do now like you know you, you've been doing this so long but at the same time this is not the same profession that I entered right so you, I, you can see all the teachers like nodding their heads like you know this is not what we signed up for right so that's what we're talking about tonight and before we get um, started with that we got my realtor boot in the house Leticia Leticia Rivera Clemente, and she's going to get us popping with some um, some news you can use in the house hunting streets. And um, before, Leticia, before you do your thing, I just want to say we've got Sarita Jackson from Atlanta. We've got Dr. Kimmy Popola from Atlanta. Kill, you, do you go, do you go from like, I'm from New York, or do you go from, I'm from Atlanta, or I'm in Atlanta by way of New York? How you do that? I'm in Atlanta by way of New York. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure we represent. And then okay. my homegirl, Shally Shalimar, she's here with us in Austin. So this is my crew, and I'm going to let them tell you a little bit about themselves. And some of them might want to tell you how they met me, if it's a good story. But if it's, because it, Dunlap on here. So no, sure that's the, this is actually the perfect time to tell those stories. So I'm taking notes. Okay, Tisha, come on, boo. Well, (laughs) as always, I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to be on here. And I love today's topic, how it's education, um, because I'm definitely all for that, but also all for educating my clients, buyers, sellers, investors in knowledge about real estate. Um, I feel like, of course, the more you know, the better the process will be, the smoother the process will be. Um, and just, you know, briefly, I, I met Shakima because I'm also a notary. Um, so I can also help anyone with notary services. Um, one of the things just starting out with, you know, some knowledge about the Mainer area, many people probably do not know that right now on the Mainer market, we literally have about 280 some odd homes that are under the 400K price point which is insane. Because if you think about how crazy the market was about six months to a year ago, not even that long ago, right? You cannot find anything in this area under 400K. And if you did, it was maybe five or 10. And if it went on the market, it got snatched up really quick. There are even about 10 properties that are under 300K. So now, Buyers that are sitting on the sidelines thinking now is not a good time to buy, it is a good time to buy. If you got your money right, you speak with a lender, you get with a knowledgeable realtor and a knowledgeable lender that can tell you how to go about, you know, making sure that your money is is right and ready and what you can do, you know, looking at your DTI, 
you can surely, you know, most likely afford something, especially if it's under 300K and do it now, because guess what? Homes are still appreciating regardless of what's going on with the recession or, you know, this housing bubble that we're not really in. And the reason why we're not in a housing bubble is because demand is still high. People still need to move in homes and inventory is still low. So when you have low inventory and you have a high demand, that is not a housing bubble. So I know last week, or not last week, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, you know, the very first steps to do, of course, find a knowledgeable realtor, find a lender. But one thing I want to make sure buyers know is their loan options. You don't have to just go conventional. You can go FHA. Um, not only that, some people probably don't know that they can do um, USDA. Sorry, something just fell off my wall over here. <laughs> um, you could also go uh, USDA. And USDA, all you have to do is literally go on the, the um, United States Department of Agriculture is what that stands for. Go on their website. You can type in a zip code, type in an address, and it will literally tell you what area is USDA if it takes the, if you can use a USDA loan or not. Maynard is one of those areas, which means you could do zero down. And it is based on income, but that's why, you know, you speak with the lender and they can tell you, okay, sure, USDA is one of the options that, that you can do. Um, a lot of people think they have to have a lot of money to, you know, come to the table. You do not. 3.5% is the requirement for FHA. So, for example, let's just throw out $400,000 home. You're looking at a $400,000 home, 3.5%, that's about 14 k there are also ways you're like, okay, well, I only have 10K. Well, guess what? Right now, the way the market is, ask the seller to help with seller concessions. That means the seller can give money back towards your closing cost. There are all different ways to, to you know, go around those obstacles that you think that you have that might not really be an obstacle at all. You just have to get with the right realtor. I could go on and on, but yeah, I don't want to take up too much time. <laughs> and honestly, um, I know you guys do like finder fees. Dr. Kimmy is a realtor in Atlanta. So I need for y'all to link oh, up. A referral, a referral yeah, fee? Yeah, I need y'all to okay. link up. So, yeah, because she sells in Atlanta. So like if y'all can hook that up and have the little ATX to ATL connection. Yeah, I that think that's awesome. good. Yeah. Like a movement. Let's do it, sis. Yes. Absolutely. I'm here for it. <laughs> let's, go. let's go that's awesome yes you, i am um, yeah you're very welcome i uh you know if anybody has you know any questions about you know how to get started um you can find my information on social media i'm Letitia, the number four real estate um if you go to my link tree you can see there's i have a helpful like buyer and seller's guide it literally breaks down the steps of you know what you need to do what you need to be prepared for how much money you might need to have for upfront costs like inspections appraisals you know those are things that you need to consider um and we're also going to have a home buyers class coming up soon in february so that is where uh you can go to get that information that's awesome. Thank you so much. And I know you can't stay with us for the entire evening tonight. So thank you for giving us your time. And you'll be back in two weeks to join us again. I will. I'd be happy to. All right. Thank you, Real nice Taboo. You guys. Sorry I can't stay on, but hope y'all have a good night. Thank you. Bye. All right. So 
who wants to go first? Because I love all y'all. And I know all y'all are capable of setting it off in your own way. So <laughs> who wants to go first? Sarita, I think I've known you the longest. Have I known you the longest? When you were saying, say how we met, I was like, I don't even remember. <laughs> it, I, it had something long. to do with Georgia State. Yes. But I can't even remember. It probably has something to do with Georgia State and, and probably the Crim Center. But I don't exactly remember how we met. I've been knowing you that long. I don't remember not knowing you. It has been a long time. Which is crazy because I'm five. So <laughs> You want to yes. go first and tell us a little bit about yourself, Sarita Jackson? Sure. Um, I, like the rest of you, are career I'm a career educator. I started teaching in about 2000. I get my feet wet trying trying to run from my calling. Um, I have since that point taught almost every grade from pre-K to five. Um, I've also taught uh, at the university level and I'm trying to figure out what to do next. <laughs> yeah, we've been in these trenches a long time, ma'am. And we both been threatening to quit for about 15 years. <laughs> and have done so several times. <laughs> We, yes, we, yeah, but we're still in here because the babies, it's the babies, plain and simple, it's the babies. And then actually, Keela, I think I, I think I met you, that was in 2007, 2008? Mm -hmm. I moved to Atlanta in 2006, so around 2000, whenever you started working at Riverdale High School yeah. is when we met. Mm. <laughs> wow that was my original school in clay code i think i was like a first or second year teacher when i met you uh-huh yep counselor at the time so so dang that yeah. was a long time ago she's also my sorrow so that's, that's uh, yes yeah. all right a <laughs> dang, that's a long time mm -hmm. all right and then dr kimmy Yes, and then Shelly, I just I I, I know you the the, uh, the least amount of time, but you know me in different ways than everybody on here. So, Dr. Kimmy, what's up? You go next. Tell us about you. Oh my goodness! So, good evening, everybody. My name is Kimmy Popola. I go by Dr. Kimmy on social media for all things that I do outside of education. I've been an educator now; it's going on 21 years. But last year, I decided to hang my hat up in education and um. I threw y'all the deuces, really, uh, <laughs> because, you know, health. I, I chose my health over worrying about other people's children. Really, that was really what it was about for me. So now I am living my best life as a wife and a mom, as a real estate agent. You alluded to that earlier. And I've done everything in entrepreneurship um, from selling eyelashes. Yes, I do sell eyelashes to selling um wellness products. And now I'm trying to move into the remote wellness space. I haven't told you about that, my sister. Okay. So now I'm moving in. <laughs> so now I'm moving into the remote wellness space where we help people with nutrition, sleep, movement, which some people call them, ex call that exercise. And just trying to generally help you develop habits that will serve you through life. So it's bringing all of the gifts that I've that I have and I've developed as an educator and bringing it into a new space. So while I'm, while I'm educating people about buying homes and selling their homes, I can also help you with your health and wellness as well. And I just want to say for the record, um, 
Dr. Kimmy been out here in these social media streets stunting on us for a few days. She just turned 50 the other day. 50 where, ma'am? Yes, ma'am. And, and where and is I just the said... ancestral fountain that you're drinking from? <laughs> because law. She did a side-by-side -side of like the 20-year challenge and her 30 look. I'm like, girl, you're 30, you're 50. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. So That's what it is, I drink water and I mind my own business. That's what I do. Stay hydrated and mind your business. I love it. Thank That's you, my free. sister. That's free. Yes, ma'am. Stand in your own lane and got no toll fee. I love it. I love it. Shally, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Thank you guys for having me tonight. Um, my name is Shalomar. I taught for about 16 years until two years ago when I got my real estate license in that first year of COVID. And I work as an operations manager now for a brokerage here in Austin. Um, so I met Shakima in my last two years of teaching and yeah. we worked at a small private school together here in Austin. And I think that there was a lot of shifting of mentality during that time. I think that that's yeah. where it really began for me. Um, and I, I'm happy. I mean, I feel like I miss I miss my kids, but I still talk to them quite a bit. But I've I, I don't think I'll ever turn back. I really don't. I chunked at the deuces too. <laughs> yeah. And y'all, Shelly has the most amazing babies. Uh. <laughs> she has the most amazing babies and her um I when I you you already had solo when I came there right I think I had just had solo and I was pregnant with Zeke yeah, so Shakima used to bring me hot wings to school <laughs> like every week she would bring me hot wings oh. she was eating my pregnant urges yeah and we don't really have a lot of hot wings so in Atlanta y'all know hot wings are on every corner Mm -hmm. Hot wings and liquor stores on every corner in Atlanta, but here in Austin, it's not like that. So, like, I had to figure out how to make them from scratch so we can make sure that Prego oh. had her hot wings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Dunlap, you got all these teachers, including me. What questions do you want to ask us about why we don't want to do this no more? Well, I mean, I guess you could take it from the top. I mean, is I mean, I don't think there's one question to ask is because I'm sure everybody's either everybody got the same reason or everybody got their own reason. It's either one or the other. Mm -hmm. So uh, we could do a round robin where everybody give their reasons, give your why um, and, you know, what you plan to do. I mean, I mean, I, I think I, I like to keep it simple. I don't want to dig too deep. I, I, I'll let you share what you're comfortable sharing. So whoever was whoever wants to go first and, you know, why you chunk the deuces or why you thinking about chunking the deuces <laughs> um i'll i'll let you i'll let you tell me so, i mean me personally i want to be a stripper but i'm gonna have to do some of kimmy's uh health and wellness stuff first and then i'm gonna have to figure out how to run from bullets because i know you got stuff in this house <laughs> so, you are you already those are my career aspirations you already know you already know where that conversation going we ain't even got to talk about it so next <laughs> I guess I can go next. Go ahead. So um, prior to 2021, I'd felt an unrest in my spirit, simply because we were coming out of the pandemic and it felt like the parents and everybody thought that the pandemic happened to them 
and not to us as a collective. And so everyone wanted to take out whatever their frustrations were, whatever their angst were about the state of education on us, even though we were all in the pandemic together. And so that was my first unrest because then I realized to myself, I started saying to myself, I don't think I want to do this anymore. But then it came to her head where when an ambulance had to come remove me from my building, right? Where I was working as an assistant principal. And after being placed on forced medical leave for about three months, I realized that I could no longer be the educator and the assistant principal that was needed in these times. And that the best thing for me to do was to find something else to do with all these gifts and talents that I have. And so I decided to just choose me over everybody else's children and what everybody else wanted me to be. And I chose me, I chose my family, I chose my son. And I just, I told them, have a nice um, rest of the school year. And I went out the door. That was really it for me. I really needed to work on my health. And Sister Dunlap knows I, she and I talked often during that time. It took me a good almost six months to get back to me, you know, from all of the stress and everything else. So that was it for me. That's, that's a good enough reason, if any. <laughs> wow, that's, that's powerful. Yeah. Powerful. Health is wealth. And you only and, and hey family family you only get you only get one chance at family sometimes and so sometimes you got to take it when 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 the getting's good so yep I, I have to respect that thank you all right who's next who wants to share I'll go next yes ma'am and um, I met Dr. Cammy at Mount Zion High School many moons ago so that's how we met initially and then I had run into Dr. Kemi. A few months, I want to say like early 20, early part of this year, um, I saw her at a restaurant mm-hmm. and then she had invited me to her son's party and they kept in communication. Um, yeah. But my story is, is a little similar. I was a head counselor in DeKalb County Schools and I was just like so frustrated. I have the same feelings that a lot of educators share, like everything is on us. You know, we have to raise your children. We're accountable, but the parents are not accountable. And I just got, I I was just like, I I can't do this anymore. And it was like a good probably 20 years I was in education. And I remember like yesterday I was in a counseling suite and I threw my hands up. I said, Lord, deliver me from this place. Now, mm. next will be more specific <laughs> in my request, <laughs> but maybe two, three days later, I was placed on administrative leave <laughs> and um, the rest is history. So I was terminated and I want to share that with other people because sometimes we don't step out on faith. We mm. know our we know our talents, but we're so afraid of, oh, well, you know, I get paid bi-weekly and, you know, mm-hmm. what am I going to do about this and what am I going to do about that? Well, God will always provide. Throughout mm. the whole drama and the whole turmoil, I was fine. You know, mm-hmm. I, it was paid administratively. But I'm like, I'm not resigning. I'm not quitting. I don't care. And that's the best thing that ever happened to me because I am a business owner today because mm. of those so for all involved, thank you. I appreciate you. And um, so I started the, day- the daycare in 2019. 
And it was very difficult for me because I've been in education for a while, but not with the little people. So it was mm-hmm. a transition. And then 2020, the pandemic hit. Um, it was just, a, it's been a long journey. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm proud to say that next five years that I've been a daycare owner. So it's a lot of work, um, you know, uh, working for yourself. Um, but I mm-hmm. like the fact that when I go out of town, I don't have to fill out a leaf slip. So I love that part. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, but I, yeah, but worth it. Everything I went through, I had to go through it because had I not been terminated, I would probably still be an educator. So mm-hmm. that's just what it is. <laughs> and thank you for having me. <laughs> Wow. Well, congratulations yeah. on your business. Um, yes. being successful and being your own boss after, you know, after mm-hmm. such a you know pretty riveting exit. You know, um, I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad to see you land on your feet. Um, yeah. land on your feet, not just any kind of way, but you landed on your feet like a champion. So I, I have to I have to salute you on that. So, yeah. um, congratulations on your success. Yes, thank you. All right, so we got two more. Who's next? Who wants to go next? Don't be shy. We here now. We okay. now. Um, so I worked at the same school for about 12 years. It was a small private school in downtown Austin, and we were very few teachers of color in a predominantly white environment. And I feel like through, you know, all of the years that I worked there, there was a lot of adversity in that. And whenever I had my own kids, my own children were going to the school, I was a bit more invested in what the curriculum looked like and how we were interfacing with our students of color. And I grew steadily unhappy with the level of experience that we were providing for Mm -hmm. our students of color. And I remember there was actually a really pivotal moment in my last year of teaching at the school where I finally decided that, you know, it wasn't for me anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I had pursued a position of leadership and I ended up not getting the job. And I had a lot of faith in the new administration that was coming in to really hold our children of color to uh, on a pedestal. I mean, I, I really wanted to embrace the diversity at the school. It was a part of our foundational language and it wasn't something that I felt like we were actually practicing at the school. It was really just like for face value. And Mm -hmm. in a city like Austin, you you just can't do that. Um, Mm -hmm. We were claiming to be something different and that's not what it was. And so when that facade started to affect my own children, specifically my own son, I was done. And being that I wasn't in a position where I saw any chance of upward mobility anymore, even after having been at the school for over a decade and have given so much of my career and time and also just love to the school, um, I really felt like it was time for me to step out. And I really wanted to find myself again. Um, I decided that I didn't wanna stay in teaching because I felt like there were other things calling to me that I'd suppressed in the last you know, 12 to 15 years. And I really wanted to tap into that part of myself again. So I didn't know if it was real estate or not, but I knew that I needed some liquidity and mm-hmm. um, I wanted to provide myself with the best opportunity to be successful, um, stepping out of a really stable situation that I'd relied mm-hmm. on for many, many years. And mm-hmm. um, it was, it was, it felt intense um, changing careers and leaving teaching. Um, I was very emotional about it. Um, I was very close with my students, very close with my community that I was a part of, but ultimately it was the right decision for me and mm-hmm. also for my family. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. 
I, I know um, Dunlap, I'm sorry. I, you know, you remember me coming home from that same place mm-hmm. and, you know, so just, you know, it's real, right? Like um, mm-hmm. you remember me coming home and I didn't have any children there, but I, for me coming from a place like Atlanta and then coming to teach um, at a school where I was, most of my students, you know, like first black teacher, you mm-hmm. know, because they didn't get to your classes until after they left mine, Shally. So like mm-hmm. some of, I think some of them, we had them at the same time or whatever, but like for some of those kids, I was the first black person they had seen, you know, outside of people who check out their groceries or Ooh. serve their food at restaurants. And they, and, and they, there was just this, you know, having to break down um, to them. I'm, I'm not the help. Mm. And even if I was the help, there's a certain level of respect that you give people, right? Mm. Like, having to you know i'm the only one here with credentials but i still have to prove that i belong here like this is Mm. that that you know being um you know constantly called into the curriculum director's office to prove that i'm teaching right to to say here's what i'm teaching and here's why and i'm like i mean i'm i know i'm the only national award winning educator y'all got on staff so like i'm confused as to why i have to keep telling you um, that mm-hmm. I that I know how to do my job. And so those types of things, you know, having parents tell me, you know, come to my classroom and say, I don't trust you. And I say, that's a, you don't know me. So that's okay. I don't trust you either. Right. That's a process. Trust is earned, but you don't have to trust me, but you have to trust the fact that I'm a professional, right? Trust mm-hmm. my credentials, trust my CV, you know, trust all the things that I have done in this, in this nation in regard to education. You don't have to trust me. Um, Because I don't know you and I don't trust you either. And so just having those types of conversations, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Mm. So I I hear you, Shelly. So I just wanted to affirm you in that way. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I I do. I do. Yeah. As you can see, me nodding. and I do remember those days. And, you know, I can't say that I necessarily remember those um, days fondly um, of her coming home and, you know, in, in the mental in the mental state that she was in after you know dealing with some of that stuff so wow. I was I, and I would be right around the corner it would take everything for me to just stay in my office like don't go up there don't you go up there don't you go over there you stay right here you got stuff you got to do here if you take your eye off the ball and you and everything else mm-hmm. get messed up so stay focused right. and mm-hmm. we'll talk about it when we get home so it was rough but I I was there I remember all right Miss Jackson what about you your turn uh, <laughs> there's been so much said, so many good things. Um, for me, there are a couple of, of pivotal things that are dragging me out uh, away from the students out of my classroom. Um, and one of them is respect. <clears throat> there used to be a foundational level of respect for an educator. There was a community understanding of the sacrifice involved <clears throat> and, and, and the support inherent <clears throat> in that. I've always lived in the communities that I teach in for that reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to run to your mama in the grocery store. Me too. Yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm. The whole time my kids are and I'm like, did you do something that you need to be doing? So there's, there's the, the erosion of respect, not just for teachers on an individual le- level, but for educators across the board. I see it at the university level too. Um, that and, and this, this erosion of respect is not just bottom up. It's not just parents and kids. 
it's also top down. So we have administrators and superintendents and people talking about scripted um, lessons. I, I don't get paid to read your script. And those people who do get paid to read scripts go off script. So <laughs> the, the uh, teaching is an art. It mm. always has been. And so when you try to turn it into this cold clinical thing, you're going to lose all of the artists. That's where I am. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. You don't have to say like much beyond drop. that. Yeah, mm -hmm. you don't got to say that much to be said beyond mm -hmm. that. I mean, that's as I mean, that's as pure as it's, it's gotten. And and you know, to your to your point, that's the biggest thing. And it's not that it's ever been a secret, but it's one thing to hear about it, but it's a total different thing when you see it in action. And that's the disrespect and the disregard. And not only you know the things that I've witnessed, I've I've witnessed you know. Cause um, Dr. Kimmy, I think you said it about you know the you know the the parents thinking that the pandemic only happened to them as if teachers were outside of the normal paradigm of life or something like mm. they were sheltered and to to be in my own household and to witness that it's like yo this is happening to us too like mm -hmm. I have to take you know I, I can't go to my office because of X Y and Z I can't go and do the thing I can't maneuver and do my job you know so to you know and, and to see this happen to my spouse it's like she's here with me like this is and she's still trying to teach your children you know when she should be you know we all should be you know trying to protect our households and you know and 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 the unrealistic expectations and the 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 level of and, and it's like they, they this notion of thick skin you got to have like a concrete barrier sometimes to deal with some of the crap that i witnessed my wife deal with and i'm just and 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 she was see me i'm sitting there I'm, I'm listening to some of the conversations about to break my pen because i'm like yo this is this is not okay and so the to hear you talk about it and to witness it it is it is something to behold it's like how do we move forward as a society if if the foundation of what builds us into something to compete in the world is totally disregarded you know it's it's incredible you know um so it just you know to hear you all speak to it and to hear your own testament as to why um, it's a, it, it's, it's heartbreaking because it's, it's where we all started. You know, we all started in someone's classroom. We all found, you know, something we was good at or, or, or something that we, we enjoyed in a classroom, you know, and some of our fondest memories come from the classroom. And so it's, 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 it's a shame really, you know, cause the ones that, that, and, and it's, it's a shame that cause it's the ones that care that everything is dumped on, you know, not the ones who need to pick up the responsibility. But the one is the ones who care that everything gets dumped on and get, get right. taken for granted and not, you know, um, I don't want to say uh, and, and not upheld as they should be, you know, because teaching should be one of the most respected professions ever. You know, <laughs> um, it should be the highest paid, highest regarded, you know, as, as much education as it takes to do it, you know, you know, just to become a teacher. You know, it's like, you know, you would think you would be, you know trying to become a nuclear studying to become a nuclear physicist or something and you know in the level of education you got to have to teach someone a student who the parent don't really appreciate it you know it's ridiculous so you go into debt to teach somebody else's kid you can't even you know you can barely take care of your own and so mm -hmm. it's a it's a really strange thing in my mind it, it, it really is mm -hmm. um miss dunlap you got any thoughts you want to share I was just thinking about how in our society, we, we pay for what we respect. 
and nobody nobody mentioned paid but i think that's just everybody on here what's understood don't have to be explained right that's right none of us probably made as much money as our spouses you know what i'm saying or like if you if you're if you're single you know you're thinking about like how can i afford should i should i should i yoke up with somebody just to have a place to stay <laughs> like you know what i mean like we we, we kind of be homosexual sometimes as teachers it's like okay if i put my income with your income then maybe we can afford a two-bedroom you know that kind of situation mm-hmm. it be like that right you know? like I, right. I i think about you know um sometimes the things the dreams that we have for our family right Dunlap and i think about the things that we want to do and sometimes i feel like we'll never be able to do those things if i keep making what i make right like like your income is not what's holding us back your income allows me to do the things that i love to do right like mm-hmm. to, to be in a doc program and to do all these things but like seriously the the way that we deserve to live at this stage in our lives as hard as we work you know you've been at your at your company 21 years right and like it's time for us to start thinking about what do we do to relax instead of me trying to figure out what's my next career just so i can make enough money for us to be able to live comfortably that's crazy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and everybody doesn't want to go into administration right like that's not my that's not my goal to necessarily become an administrator just so i can earn a little extra pay or you know to move into some central office type position so i can so i can you know have money and, and, and tell other people what to do like that's not necessarily my heart why can't i earn a livable wage still working with the children Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. says administration it, it, it's not all that is cracked up to be you already you you and i already talked about that i was an administrator for what six i can't even remember eight years and it's not and i can't i remember the day that i got promoted to an assistant principalship and my father because you know we're nigerians and his next thing was a, by god's grace you're going to be a principal and i looked at this man like no <laughs> And I kept trying to tell people that a principalship was not what I wanted. But I, apparently people don't believe you when you say that that's not what you want, because if you're an assistant principal, you must want to be a principal. But I knew that that wasn't what I wanted. I knew that very early on in my in my, in my my journey that a principalship was not what I wanted. Even as an assistant principal, it's kind of like, the way I put it is, they give you that big pay but the other side to it is you lose almost yourself. You lose time with your family. I'll never forget my son telling me, mommy, I don't see you Saturdays and Sundays. Where am I? I'm on somebody's school campus trying to make sure that these other kids are fine or making sure that everything is well with the building and I'm missing time with my son. We stay for football games and you know how it is. If the parents don't come get their children, you got to stay until they come get their children. It doesn't matter if it's 11 o'clock, 11.30, midnight, right? You stay until those children are picked up because if you don't stay and something happens, they're coming after you and everything that you've worked hard for. So in order for you not to lose everything behind somebody's child, you stay. And then when you stay, like my sister uh, Sarita said, it's the lack of respect for me because the game ended at 10 o'clock, 10.30. Ma'am, you come in at 12.30 a.m. And not a word of thank you for staying with my child. Thank you for making sure my child is safe. No, 
you act like, yeah, this is your job. In the meantime, who's taking care of my family and my child? And then to make it even more interesting, you dock me if I'm late, yet you take time from me, from my family to stay till 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Yet if I'm 15 minutes late, you want to talk about a conference. Hey, I'm hey. sorry. What? You better that was say it for me. That was yeah. it for me. Because you want to talk about, let's have a conversation about you coming late to work. Ma'am, I left here at 1130. Shakima, remember the day you sent me $10 for lunch? I made a post about the fact that I left work at 1030. Remember? I left work the previous day at 1030. And by 730, I was in the parking lot. And you sent me a cash out for $10. I'll never forget it because I sat in my car and I cried. Mm -hmm. And you were like, have lunch on me, sis. That was the reality of being an administrator. That was the reality. Everybody had expectation from the, from, from the very top all the way to the bottom. The students had expectation. Oh, let's not talk about the parents. Everybody had expectations of what you're supposed to do and how you can do your job. Ma'am, I'm the one sitting in the seat. You're telling me how I can do my job? Okay. But I can't come on your job and tell you how to do your job, right? But you, about, you will tell me what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it and when I'm supposed to do it. So it was the lack of due respect. For me, it was never about, it was never about the pay. It was just a total lack of regard, lack of respect. And the fact that I had to be the bigger person I wasn't supposed to have emotions and feelings. I always had to be the bigger person and take on all of the abuse that you throw at me. And I'm supposed to sit there and look professional and still smile in your face because of, of course I'm superhuman, of course, right? And that was the thing for me. It was just enough was enough. Dr. Kimmy, I think that word you use is really important. I think that American educators are abused by and large mm -hmm. and we have an abusive relationship with our employers nowhere else would it be okay to deprive people of bathroom breaks of of sitting down of drinking beverage nowhere else <laughs> like if you heard about a job doing that you would think that that was insane you would think these people were in prison or something but no they're just local classroom teachers mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, it's the entitlement. Like when Dr. Kenny mentioned, you know, having to stay two hours past, you know, the game time and you just pick up your child. No, thank you. No, well, you're supposed to do that. I, I'm, I, yeah, I can't, I can't be, I can't, I can't. Y'all know how many children I sent home on Ubers so that I could go home. Uh-huh. Well, because I feel like that level of entitlement, it doesn't just stop with the parents. I mean, it trickles down to the students as well. And it doesn't matter what kind of school you're in. It doesn't matter how old the child is. There's an expectation that we as the teachers, and I feel like also, especially as black female teachers, that we can take it. Um, it. We, can, we can swallow it and we'll just do it because we don't want to make waves, but it's ridiculous. Cause we're like the mammies, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? We're the, we're the, we're this, this, you know, when Zora said that black women are the mules of the world, mm -hmm. she meant that. And I feel that. Right. And I, and I feel that there's still this expectation 
that we nurse everybody's children, that we raise everybody. My job is not to teach your child morals and values. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're around me, they're going to get it because that's just who I am. But yeah. that's not my role, right? That is something that like there's a shared agreement that um, you do some things at home, right? So when they come here, I don't have to waste my instruction time teaching them how to say please and thank you and all those things that you forget to teach them. Like you let them talk to you like that, but they're not going to talk to me like that, right? And so I, I feel like now there is a Black teaching tradition where if you get a Black teacher, there's certain things you're going to get, right? That's just what we do because that's who we are. That's, that's how mm-hmm. we show up in the world. But this world has um, has become so, I don't know, like jaded that even that gift I feel like sometimes I want to take my goodness back because mm-hmm. you're not gonna keep respect my face. Uh, like like I, I I wonder like sometimes like do I need to change myself mm. in order to survive like I want to be good to you I want to be good to your children but not if you're gonna keep on doing this to me it's like you know when you we're, we have this like narcissistic codependency thing with our profession and it's like you know you're just gonna keep on doing it like this because mm-hmm. you know I love the children so you just, you're just going to keep on. The other day, I had an interaction with a parent. My husband just rolled his eyes when I said it. <laughs> Baby, tell him from your perspective, what no, was that? I'll, that I'll, you? Nope, I'll let you tell it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, don't need... I had the nastiest interaction with Like when I tell you, mm. this lady read me for filth. Filth. Mm-hmm. You didn't do what I told you to do can you not read can you not do this you don't you don't follow instruction but boo your child failing though <laughs> so i don't know what part of what you're doing makes you think that now i'm gonna move a mountain right because i was already doing things that you don't know about to help your child be successful mm-hmm. right so now you're gonna get straight down the line and if you sink or swim mm-hmm. it's gonna be by your own merits you know. right i don't follow instructions because you ate my balls you know and that that, that thinking right. that oh but they are the culture at some point that i pay taxes so i'm your boss i pay taxes too. i don't get to decide what i do it's just insane it is insane i think uh, the part that oh go ahead no go, no, ahead. go ahead go ahead okay go ahead. i was just gonna say during covid whenever we were at home and teaching virtually i felt like there was a lot of reverence and respect for teachers during that time because parents they thought you know i can do this like the teachers are sending me the lessons like my kid's going to be learning online this is going to be easy and i think that they saw how difficult the ins and outs of being an educator are on the daily and that your needs just kind of fall to the wayside. And I thought that that might stick. And then as soon as we started going back to the classroom, you could see that that respect just never really was there. Um, mm-hmm. It was just a false sense. Girl, those people got there and realized they didn't even like their own children. Right. <laughs> they realized they didn't even like their own children. Right. So like, so like, no, now you, now you realize we weren't lying on Johnny. Mm-hmm. This is what Johnny does. Right. But you realize that we spend more time, we actually spend more time with your children than you do, mm-hmm. right? Yes, so ma'am. Like, we are, who your child is without us is not even something that you like. You don't like that product, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what that was like. Not, I respect you teachers, but if you don't hurry up and get these kids up out of here, <laughs> right, like, like, get them, take them back, right? 
Like I've had parents say to me, get your kids. Get your kids. Talk about crazy parent stories. I have one this year who want to call me, literally wrote a letter because she wants this child to be in, in the SST process because of how she behaved at home. Ma'am. That's your job. I don't have those issues. <laughs> That's on you. I don't have those issues. She just did, did, did. She don't do that with me. Her grades are fine. I ain't called you about her behavior yet. You want to involve me in homework and all kind of foolishness? She That's you. <laughs> Because wow. you really think I'm supposed to raise your kids. That's exactly what is thought. Mm-hmm. When parents you stop know, parenting. Is. That's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Because we know, like, developmentally, a child's brain is not even capable of making some of the decisions that these people are letting their kids make. Mm-hmm. So when that backfires on you, right, there's, there's educational psychology. We know, like, biologically your child is not even capable of making those decisions that you're allowing them to make that's you make you let them make decisions for your household that's on Mm y'all but we as educators know that they they don't even have the capacity they don't have the mental capacity to Mm -mm. make those types of decisions and so i'm just i think i need to hurry up and get out before this next generation comes through that's just like because i'm not I, i i i love you we're not friends though you know, like one of us has to have some wisdom. And so like that is, I think, you know, I this next generation is coming through that that don't understand, no, not right now, or there's a rationale for why you can't have that. Like you wouldn't give a five-year-old keys to your car because you know they're not capable of doing that. And yet mm-hmm. somehow that's abuse if you don't do it, right? If your child wants it and you don't give to them, then that's abuse. So something, I can't participate in that. <laughs> It's to, I think it's time for me to, to go ahead and, and make my graceful exit before that that happens. So I think how I would like for us to close tonight is, you know, first of all, to just say thank you all for being here and sharing your stories, because this is the part that people need to see, right? I don't think that we sugarcoated anything. I don't think we were human, right? And if we can't expect for them to see us as humans if we get on, um, you know, public stages and platforms and then pretend like we don't hurt. If they step on your toe, say, ouch. If they do it again, draw back, right? Like we have to start showing people we are human. We're not going to smile and, and pat your kids on the back when they come in here and cuss us out. We're just not going to do that. Like this is, this is real. And so how I would like to end tonight is just if each person can take a moment to just look into the camera for those who are live, speak into your microphone for those who are going to hear the podcast later. And what is the one thing that you want to tell America about education? I'll start. Okay. For me, education is the school, is the parents and the community. We have lost somewhere in there there is a brokenness to where the community is not connected to the school and the school is not connected to the home. Everybody plays a part in educating a child. The parents play their part, 
the school plays their part, the community plays their part. And until all three of us come together and agree that we are responsible for these children, it's going to, be, it's going to continue to be broken because the parents cannot assume that the school is responsible. I mean, like they told you, come get your child. That's not my child. I didn't birth this child. You birthed this child. So there's a certain level of responsibility that you have towards this child. The one I birthed, I'm responsible for him. And I make sure that home is taken care of so that his teachers can teach him what they need to teach him and not have to worry about behavior. That's what's killing us is this behavior. And then the parents taking up for the behavior and then the community looking at us like, y'all are the problem. No, it's three-pronged. It's the school, it's the home and the community. We all have to come together and take responsibility for these children. If we don't, the brokenness will continue. That was good, Dr. Kimmy. Thank you, that was powerful. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. That's actually a big part of the foundational principles of the school that I last worked at, um, that every student, parent, and staff member, um, that we're all working as a cohesive group together towards the betterment of education within that community. So um, that really resonated with me. Um, I would say, Shakima, that if we look at education strictly from the viewpoint of what's written in books and you know, what our children are hearing um, in the news, that we are doing a major disservice to our kids. Um, education it has to be looked at from a holistic point of view. I think that a lot of the behavior issues that we have, the entitlement that we have, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're teaching our students a lot of times in the exact same way that their parents were taught and that their grandparents were taught. And we have to get away from that generational curse of pinholing our students and to one type of learning, one way of thinking. Um, I really do think that it's more than that. And I think that until, you know, government institutions um, get with the program, it's going to be like that a lot of times, especially in places like Texas. And, you know, maybe it's that same way in Georgia as well. Um, but I do think that the government needs to take its hands out of education so much and leave that to people who have been educators um, and that that's something that they love and enjoy um, or else we're doing a major disservice to our kids. Thank you. I think if I had to sum it up, I would say, especially to parents, um, that education reflects the whole. It, it's life imitates art, art imitates life. So as the quality of people goes down, because those children who are in my classroom disrespecting me now will one day be educators mm. and they will disrespect their students. So as the quality of, as we allow the quality of people, of their morals, of their character, of all those things to diminish, what we are doing is creating an unsustainable situation. And as a parent, I would have my child nowhere near public education. Wow. That's real, though. That's real. That's real. Whew. All right. So leave us a good old 
because I had to just, um, in October, remove my son from public education. Um, he started in kindergarten and then the pandemic hit, then he was virtual, then he went to a private school for first and second grade. And the, the unprofessionalism, so to speak, at the school, the lack of communication, the um, putting everybody in the same bubble when, you know, children are individuals, um, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So now he's in a private school again uh, with his sister and um, we're just in a better space now. Um, he's He comes home, he's happy. Um, he doesn't complain anymore. It's, it's a smaller classroom setting. And I'm like, I'm a taxpayer. I should be able to send him to a free school, but I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, in terms of education for me, it's a partnership. Like we can't do it alone. The educator can't do it alone. Mama can't do it alone. The school can't do it alone. We all have to work together cohesively in order for it to work. You know, um, you can't put everything on the educator and then not hold the students and parents to the same um, level of accountability. So once we realize it's a partnership and we have to work together, they said it takes a village and it does. It, it, it's not gonna work until we get into that mind frame that you can't do it alone. And, and as educators, I feel like, you know, why do these ball players make millions of dollars to bounce a ball, to throw a ball and educators, we have blood, sweat, tears, and you know, you're away from your house and working all these hours. And you know, when Dr. Kemi um, said that, you know, her son is like, "Mom, you know, where are you?" I, I feel her pain because I've been there. You know, you're working all these hours, you're away from your house, but then these professional players make all this money, and I just don't think that um, education is valued in other countries. You know, oh, you're a teacher. Oh, you're an educator. Oh, oh, oh. And you know, you're respected in other countries and in other cultures, but in America, you're not, not so much. So we just have to work together. That's all I can say. We have to work together. Yeah, this has been amazing. I am so grateful that you have come here tonight to just give us your time and energy. And I hope that this goes wide. I hope that people who are in position to do something about this um, hear our voices and understand that we're tired. We're tired. Like on this, this is a group of some of the most gifted, talented educators, most dedicated edu educators I have ever been a part of. And to hear all of us saying like, yo, I, I have to put on my own oxygen mask first. Y'all are killing me, right? This is, this is so much bigger than anybody on this call. But I, I, I just, if you're hearing and you have the capacity to do something, right? Do something. Um, Dunlap, you want to close us out? All I want to say is I'm a fan of the teachers. Um, again, y'all are, you know, she, um, I think Ms. Smith spoke, spoke about the athletes. You know, it's, it's y'all that get those athletes to the point where they can even get into school. Some of them even get some corners cut for them, you know, to become the successes that they are. So it's, this is, again, as I mentioned earlier, this is where everything starts. So I've always been a big fan. Um, I can't say I've always been the best student, um, but I've always been a big fan because I know where it begins. Um, I wouldn't know half of what I know if it wasn't for somebody who cared enough to teach me. So um, it's the core of all of who, what we know, who we become and, you know, who we will ultimately end up. So 
Um, that's all I could really say. And, you know, I, I, I see the struggle. Um, I, I support the cause. I know it's real. I know it's not a figment of imagination. So um, just as bad as they think it is, it's, it's probably worse. So um, it's um, I, I have a high regard and respect for what y'all do for the, the struggles that you all deal with on a daily basis. And, you know, um, I just I just tip my hat. I salute you. I respect you um, for, you know, do, for choosing such a profession. Um, it, it takes special people, really, really special people to take the time to give somebody to give somebody the gift of knowledge. I, and I feel that from the deepest depth of my heart. So thank you for thank you for all of your service, uh, whether you've you know, whether you've moved on to something else or whether you're still doing it. Thank you for all that you've done um, to this day. So um, without you, there's a lot of people that wouldn't be who they are today. So I'll end with that. Amen. That's so welcome. You are so y'all, this has been another episode of In It Together with the Dunlaps. I am Shakima. I'm Deontay. With the Dunlaps. Yes, indeed. We'll see you here same time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time next Tuesday. We're going to close, do like a year in review. So pay attention for our poll because we're going to ask our audience to give us our top 10 stories for the year of 2022. We'll see you here again live next week. Take care, Thanks, everybody. everybody.